Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now this week, we sit down with one of the most interesting characters in the supercars paddock, DJR Team Penske Team Principal, Ryan Story. In the second part of our chat, he tells the story of how Dick Johnson Racing's union with Team Penske came to be, and he reveals the role that a supercars fan favourite played in getting the deal over the line. Ryan also talks about the rise of DJRTP, the key role that engineering guru Ludo Lacroix has played, and the evolution of the team from its financially difficult days at the start of the Car of the Future era through to its emergence as one of the big players on the supercars grid. And a reminder too, this podcast was recorded in July 2019, so prior to the team's wins in last year's Bathurst 1000 and Supercars Championship. And because it was a spur-of-the-moment record, we didn't get to put out the call for our National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions or put Ryan through our traditional V8 Sleuth Top 10 shootout. But don't worry, they'll be back for our next sit-down chats in the episodes ahead. So here we go. Buckle up, time to start. Part 2 of Ryan's story on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Timken. So much of the, the journey from there on is really well documented in terms of the, the evolution of the team, the involvement of... Penske, um, Scott McLaughlin, Fabian Coulthard, Scott Pye for a while, Marcus Ambrose, clearly a part of the journey as well. Uh, there is so many elements that could almost be their own podcast chapter of just the Penske <laughs> years. But at what stage here do you become official and you are in an official role at this team and you're not really in the shadows anymore? When, well, when even- do we say that you started work here officially? Well, even in – I was here every day – in 2012, I, I, there were three desks in this office in 2012. Cameron Clancy, Richard Swan, and, and myself. And then in 2013, Steve was in the office that's currently um, used by our CFO, Ron Young. Um, and then when he went to Erebus to co-drive with Mario Engel, I moved into that office. And then eventually moved into the office that I'm in now, I think in late 2014. But even business cards I had made up through 2014 just said team advisor <laughs> but 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 very clearly throughout 2013 um it was a triumvirate it was dick johnson ryan story and steve brabeck i was the guy on the ground making it happen but we were making the decisions together in 2014 steve stepped back primarily because they were going through the sale of crim safe but in the background of that were obviously the discussions with Penske. But but from from the day that, that I officially was running this business through to this day, in actual fact, Dick has never not known anything. He's never not been involved in the decision-making, um, certainly decisions of consequence. Um, and, I'm, and, and one of the things that makes 
a relationship between a effectively a, a, a child company of a, of a major parent that's 15,000 kilometres away is oversharing and communication. So we maintain that approach to this day. But one of the highlights of 2013 for me, there were two, obviously, there's the win. Um, we got to run the Greens Tough replica at Bathurst, which was pretty cool. Obviously, the weekend didn't quite work out so well for us, but it was pretty, pretty, pretty neat. Um, but uh, the 2013 election took place, federal election took place in that year. So I had to relocate to Melbourne to work at campaign headquarters for, I think it was a seven-week period. Hard to run a race team from the other end of the country, but I did. I, I was, I was, I, I would joke that I was a, a political, political anim, a, animal moonlighting as a race team boss, but in reality, I was a race team boss moonlighting as a political operator. So I spent time at uh, the campaign headquarters that year was on Spring Street. So I was working out of an office on Spring Street, and it just got to a point where it was too distracting to be doing the duties that I needed to do for the election, and also taking care of business here at Stapleton so I <laughs> I was staying at the uh, I was staying at a hotel on Collins Street and they have a, a lounge on the top floor of, uh, of the hotel and I based myself out of there for, for nearly th- four weeks so I'd get up at about 6am and I would be up in the lounge by 6.30 and I would work through till they shut the place and they would they have one of the best patisseries of any hotel in Australia there, and they would keep all these chocolates and truffles and patisserie coming and glass bottles of coke coming coming at me right throughout the day. And I and I had my laptop and uh, and I was doing uh, I was getting email age payable age receivable emails through from the race team. I was had hundreds of emails relating to the political work, hundreds of emails relating to the race team, and uh, managed so, to get through it. So social life is booming right now. What's that? What does that mean? Yeah, it's a thing. I haven't had one of those for many, many years, yet alone, uh, yet alone recent times. Uh, the history of the DJR Team Penske era, how the ownership um, and Roger getting involved is, is really well documented. It's been a, a great job. Um, various websites and podcasts have, have done that side of things. But uh, taking a look back at it now, some years down the track, do you have to pinch yourself sometimes to see what is – become of this race team from where it was when you when you first rolled in the door it is a real cinderella story you could not in a million years have predicted what has unfolded here no you're absolutely right and even just re- retelling it to to you now is i'm i sound like a broken record because i've i've told this story many many times but uh, Never gets old for me, I suppose. You can tell bits that you've never told before because that's I've, what we do here on this well, podcast. I've, you've got to offer up some gold. If you're going to get a gig here <laughs> and you're going to be a guest, you know this very well, you've got to give something. I've already given you a few you've things. Given that, a couple of I've nuggets. already given you a few things that, have, that I've never mentioned anywhere before publicly. And the election stuff, I'm not sure I've mentioned that publicly before. Um, but, yeah, looking back on it, it's, it's uh, life's full of decisions. And one thing I often say to people is, you know, the best the best thing to do is to make the right decision. The next best thing to do is to make no is to make the wrong decision. And the worst thing you can do is to make no decision at all. What's the best decision you've made since you've been in this building? It's a question on the spot, I know, but there's probably a couple. 
Yeah, I think there'd be a couple. I think it's backing myself in. At 2013, in 2013, the beginning of 2013, having faith in, in Dick and Jill and Steve and backing myself, man, there were some hard days. And a lot of people, a lot of people lived through that time and, and gave their all for the team to get here. A lot of people, a lot of people. And there's a, and there's a number of them who still are with us today, guys like... Danny, Danny Irvin, Keith Chesterton, Mark Fenning. There's a lot of guys who gave their heart and soul to this place, and they're the reason why 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 we are where we are today. But yeah, that I think that that decision in 2013, when I, certainly I could have easily walked away. The smartest thing for Dick to do would be to walk away, but uh, we decided to keep going. And my proud, probably the thing I'm most proud of outside of the success that we've achieved in recent years was that by the time we got to the end of 2014, the team was in a position where we had options with manufacturers. We'd paid off all of the debt. There was nothing within the organisation that had a liens on it. And we were in the... in. in a situation where we, we, we could continue to sustainably run a mid-pack team. That's probably what I'm most proudest of. If you take out the success we've had in the in the past few years, the start of the Penske era is, from my memory, is a you were given a business card at a racetrack. Is that right? Well, it wasn't even given to me. It was uh, it was given to Richie Swan, and it happened at at the Gold Coast event. I think it might have been on a Saturday. So this is 2014. This is 2013. 13. So it was given. I, I still have the business card to this day. It was given by given to Richie by a name a man named Don Hansen, who was the marketing manager for Western Star Trucks at the time. And in 2013, uh, Roger, through Penske Automotive Group, had purchased from Trans-Pacific the uh, MAN Western Star and Dennis Eagle distributorships uh, here in Australia. And later that year had purchased um, uh, Detroit Diesel, um, Detroit Diesel Australia and the the distributorships for Detroit Diesel and MTU engines as well. So they had established a footprint firmly in the Australian marketplace and it continues to grow and flourish to this day, their Australian business. And a lot of that's been off the back of the race team. And we've 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 acted as as has been our mandate to be the marketing arm for for the for the for the Fenske Transportation Group International um, groundings in Australia, which has been uh, which has been wonderful. But uh, about a week after Richie was given that card, I'd spoken to Don, was told that Roger had an interest in supercars, and Roger himself called me on my mobile. And I've mentioned before that. Uh, through politics and politics alone, one one develops quite an acute bullshit detector, <laughs> and uh, and mine was going off the charts initially from that first contact. And yeah, Roger's going to call to call and talk to you, and uh, this is what this, this is what we want to do, and this is how we want to do it. But then when Roger Penske's on the other end of the phone, it's the first time you've ever spoken to him, and he's telling you about what he can bring to the sport and what he can bring to Dick Johnson Racing and how he wants to meet with you as soon as possible. You sort of get off your, you sort of get off the phone after one of those calls and you stare at your phone for about five minutes just wondering what the hell just happened. <laughs> and I wrote down a number of notes 
after that call because I was due to head to hospital that day to have surgery and I wrote notes and I took photos of the notes and sent them to uh, Dick, to Steve and to Campbell Little who was working for us at the time. And the plan was, I mean the notes were sent for obvious reasons, but the plan was that we would then attend or travel to the United States, I think uh, 10 days after that. Now 10 days passes i've set up all of the travel um sue wilson who was here running our merchandise uh, merchandise operations at the time had had had, uh, had some really nice uh clothing made for us with the djr logo on it it was all rm williams stuff rm williams is my brand of choice <laughs> not uh, a sponsor of the vance Luth podcast but if they want to come on board i've paid full price from for everything i've ever bought from them <laughs> so they're not a sponsor of ryan's story either <laughs> But uh, so, so, so we, you want to so look the part. You want to make an impression. We, we on the want captain. to make an impression. And, and what do you think you're going for here? Do you think he's wanting to buy the team, sponsor the team? I oh, know it was clear from the beginning that he wanted to go racing in supercars. It was absolutely clear. And, and you, are you thinking there's someone else here? There's other teams he's talking to, or you're it? I was, I was, I was still very wet behind the ears then. I didn't know what to make of any of it. Mm. But I thought I can't go alone, and it can't just be me and Dick. Steve has to be involved because basically the three of us are DJR at that point in time, and Campbell has to come because he's the he's the credibility. I mean, he's the he's the guy. So the four of us fly over about ten days later. We're there for a week. The plan is to meet with Roger and Tim Sindrick at Mooresville on the Friday. I put a photo up on social media only a few weeks ago of that was taken of the four of us at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And it's date-stamped and everything. And I look like death, so I probably shouldn't have travelled. I, I hardly left the hotel room for four days or so. We were on the ground in in, uh, in Charlotte. But uh, we go out to Mooresville and we sit in the boardroom. And it's a very Penske boardroom. It's got a, an old IndyCar wind tunnel model mounted on the wall and a number of trophies around the room and we played a video which we which which Campbell organized uh, for Mark Larkham to make for us that basically was a was a one and a half minute video that showed our facility talked about what we have done what we have achieved Dick's history so the championships. Larko's your pitch man He's the, he's the pitch man. He's no the pitch way. Man. We yeah. never knew this. Yeah, that, and I've, I've still got that video. I have to. I have to give it to you to go in the show notes so that people can watch it. Absolutely, it's a great video. And when you contrast how the place looks today to how it looked then, uh, it's it's you can you can very much tell that uh, that we are we we are far more representative of the the Penske heritage brand and name today than than what we were in in those early days but uh, yeah like was uh, was a uh, like did us a solid in in putting that together for us it was a great video so we played that and did, then did roger you use the whiteboard though <laughs> no no whiteboard. okay didn't. just wanted to check but the interesting thing about the meeting is that there were four blokes four blokes in the room from australia completely in awe of this motorsport legend and tim Sindrick was then and as he is now a great operator he knew his stuff he'd read the supercars operations manual he was firing questions at us left right and center from and and far afield and his relationship to roger is a little bit similar to the one that i have with dick where he's the 
he's the uh, the glass half full type type approach compared to the glass uh, a glass sorry glass half empty compared to the glass half full type approach and, and it, they work together incredibly well so he was asking all sorts of questions and Roger was talking about all of the things that they could bring to the team and I was doing all the talking from our side which was not the plan I can assure you <laughs> but it was basically questions were being asked and and I was answering them talking about the commercial state of the sport um, to the car of the future platform, where the sport was heading technically, where the sport was heading commercially, what that where the team was from a commercial footing, what our results looked like, a whole, a whole myriad of questions, answering questions in relation to the operations manual. It was quite a comprehensive meeting. So this, they're wringing you dry here. They yeah, are really yeah. going for it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then we had a tour of the place that was just like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> But uh, no, it was a very special day. And then a week later, Roger came to our facility. And did you have to sneak him in the back door or how no, did you do all this? No, no, it was on a week. I think I've got the actual date because I put, I, put I put together a full history timeline of, of DJR Team Penske only, only a few months ago. So I've got the exact date somewhere, but I think it might have been a weekday. So we cleaned the place out. We'd let the staff go for the day. And Roger and Randall Seymour, who runs Penske Transportation Group International here in Australia, came along and went through the place. And Roger had a really close look at the cars, and I remember him making a number of comments about how technical and complicated and complex the cars were and how he loved the engineering. He couldn't believe they were as technical as what they were. And then he kept referring to their original IndyCar facility at Reading, Pennsylvania. He said, this is just like Reading. I like this. This is just like Reading. Everything has a place. Everything has a place. And he really liked that about us. He had a great respect and admiration for Dick and his achievements. And he liked, he liked 10 Emory Street, Stapleton. Now, of course, Jamie Allison, who was running Ford Motorsports Program at the time, and Tim Sindrick come out for Homebush that year, which means the cat is well and truly out of the bag. People Penske are, are looking at supercars mm-hmm. and uh, every team bar one approached them. Which one didn't approach them? Um, well, uh, well, it's you. It's is an, it you? It's a, it's because an, you didn't approach them, they approached you. It's it. No, it, well, that, that's that's actually true. That's I just actually, got you off the hook on a question there, Ryan. Well, I was going to say that the the team the, the team has a new has a has a numerical name, um, but. Uh, Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. Every man and his dog sent them a pitch, and they they looked quite closely at the other Ford teams, and they had have obviously have a very close relationship with Ford through the NASCAR program, but through many OEMs through the business itself, and and of course GM through the IndyCar side of things. So they were spoiled for choice, and they had the opportunity of either investing in an existing team or setting up a Greenfields team, and John Crennan was uh, was involved. In that side of the operation later down the track as well. Are they looking to buy it out? It's clearly that they're not coming just to invest. It's clear they're coming to, well, we're going to take this thing over. Are you thinking that the team's being sold or are they just buying a, a majority shareholding here? No, it was, it, the, the, the joke was said that Roger doesn't make for a good minority partner. <laughs> and I, I'd imagine that to be true. Well, whether it's true or not, I think that if you have the opportunity to be in business with, with someone like that, uh, with his. With his, I mean, forget about racing, what he's achieved in business. He's got 60,000 employees worldwide. 
It's a thirty billion dollar annual turnover for his business, and he's built that all. He's built that all from the ground up himself. He's a remarkable man. We talked. We talked recently about uh, uh, Team Penske had their fiftieth running in the Indy, Indianapolis Five Hundred this year. A few years ago, they celebrated fifty years of Team Penske. There's only been one person there for all of, mm. all of the races and for all of the action. Mm. That's Roger Sell Penske. Mm. Remarkable man. So yeah, it's a. It was a case of uh, getting to the finish line and taking a philosophy and approach that no matter what happens, supercars will be better with Penske in it. Whether it's partnered up with us or they're doing something else, we will benefit as a consequence of the series benefiting as a consequence of them, them being an entrant. And as And by embracing that philosophy, we opened every door we showed them all the books. We walked them through everything. We walked them through costs. We walked them through revenue channels and opportunities. We didn't hide anything from them. And as a consequence of that, a trust relationship uh, built and was formed, particularly between Tim Sindrick and myself. And uh, and then in May 2014, um, they made a decision to, to come on board. But it was always... The intention that uh, they would uh, that uh, Roger would come in as a partner, and that we would remain involved with the team. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment, but I wanted to tell you about our good friends at Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now you might know their name and recognise their logo, but did you know that Timken products have been to the surface of Mars? It's true. Timken partnered with NASA to design and develop bearings for its Mars rover missions Spirit, Opportunity and Curiosity, as well as for NASA's next scheduled mission to the red planet that's set to blast off in July 2020. The Curiosity rover used Timken bearings in its descent to the planet, as well as in the carousel system that positions the rover's sample cups for gathering and analysing rock, soil and atmosphere, plus two bearings that run the vacuum pump that supports the rover's analytical equipment. Those bearings are just 6.35 millimetres, yes, millimetres in size, and they rotate at 100,000 RPM. It's amazing. We'll bring you some more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast this year, but now it's back to the podcast. The championship winner of 2018 is the cherry on the cake, but talking to a lot of people involved in top-line sport over the years, that there's the aim. It's winning Bathurst. It's winning the championship. It's winning the title. Whatever sport you're in, but a lot of people get the feeling when they get to the top of the mountain that they're trying to get to that it's not quite the same exhaust exuberant feeling that they thought it may be. But they actually figure that it's the journey that's the reward. The bit at the end's great, but do you feel a little bit that way too? That as great as Scott winning that championship in Newcastle last year was, particularly given twelve months earlier what had happened. More so, it was a case of the journey over the five, six years that was the the actual reward and the actual championship in itself than the actual well, championship, inter- for want of a better term. It's interesting. Scott talks a lot in his book and, and has spoken a lot publicly about uh, working with Emma Murray to get through Newcastle 2017 and certainly through last season and, and how that was a big help to him. And, and I took responsibility as the leader of the organisation here to help navigate our people through that time it was very difficult for all of us 
But it wasn't Newcastle where we really lost the championship. It was Bathurst. We had material incursion in the valve spring, and when that happens, your motor doesn't doesn't like going up to 7,500 RPM anymore. So that's really, you know, a championship is 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 the totality of a season. It's not down to one race, but it was very difficult to tell any any one of us that at the time. So I think to have bounced back from Newcastle 2017 to arrive at Adelaide against a car that was that was better than than what we were racing, and then to overcome that and just dig deep, never give up, never stop fighting. Yes, the journey is the reward, but uh, getting that championship at the end of last year was 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 incredible. It was a great feeling, and redemption is really the best word to describe it. We felt like we'd we'd earned our place, we'd earned respect, we'd earned it. We nothing was handed to us on a platter. We earned it, and we fought against the very very best. The other lesson that is so clear to me now with where we are is just how much of an achievement it is to be at the top of the tree and maintain that level of competitiveness continue to evolve and adapt to almost any challenge and still be in the top ranks and that's where i've got an enormous respect for roland dane and the triple eight organization for them to be for them to have been top of the charts and the best team in the championship for nigh on 15 years, it requires a level of intensity that I don't think anyone can truly understand and appreciate until you've experienced it for yourself. And for us, we're talking three seasons. You're always having to look for the next best thing and think about the next challenge around the corner, the politics within pit lane, keeping people motivated, keeping the ideas fresh. I always say to the engineers, ideas are free. Nothing else they do is free by hell, but <laughs> ideas certainly are. But trying to keep trying to keep your team motivated and together, we try and have a culture here where it's where we're a very difficult organisation to get into and an even harder one to leave. So you've got to look after your people and show them respect, give them opportunities within the organisation. But uh, yeah, fair fair credit to Triple Eight and what they've been able to do because we know now just for, from our experience that. It is one of the hardest things to do in sport. We've talked very deeply here, I guess. We've been quite serious about some of the topics. I want to lighten it up a little bit. Um, at the moment, throughout the course of 19 into 2020, um, the V8 Sleuth team is working on a book in partnership with Dick Johnson on the history of all of the cars from DJR and DJR Team Penske over an amazing period. So it's nearly 50 cars all up that we're going to tell the histories of, publish some photos that have never been seen before. Uh, if you could keep one car from over the years, only one, just the one, which one is it? Is it something from your youth? Is it something from the modern day era that you've been involved in? What's the one you would love to have in the, the Ryan Story collection? So, so true blue and green stuff don't mean as much to me as they as they mean to a lot of other fans because I wasn't alive when they were racing. What year were you born then? <laughs> you've just dated yourself a little bit. I here. have, yes. Yeah. But- the, my, my favourite car is the Sierra, even though I never saw it race firsthand. Which Sierra? You've got one in particular? The 89 Bathurst car. Right. Which is also the 92 pulsating car. Indeed it is. And the 92 runner-up and the but, 1990 runner-up. Same but car. To have, but to have led every lap of Bathurst, that's a hell of a thing. Only two guys have ever done it. Only two cars have ever done it. 
that that's that's a hell of an achievement. And and with what Dick and JB did at the Silverstone to TT and uh, and how Dick talks about bouncing back from '87 and the humiliation that was Bathurst that year in his mind to him, the Sierra is a particular favourite. And I just I just love. I love the engine. I love that little shoebox four-cylinder engine that's 90 horsepower flat out on the dyno before you give it four bar a boost. There's just it, there's everything about that car, the sound of it. That's Yeah, I'd pick the Sierra almost every time. But uh, I've also got a soft spot for the AU, particularly the 990. Not many, not many people I say know, that about I AU know, Falcons, right? But, uh, but the 99 AU that, uh, that uh, Dick and Steve drove at Bathurst was pretty special. My favourite car in terms of aesthetics it didn't didn't necessarily achieve a great deal, but it was but aesthetically pleasing to me was the uh, the ninety eight EL, and uh, Richard Paul from Bianti is working on on producing the model of the ninety eight EL at the moment. Uh, sorry, it's a ninety seven EL at the moment. The year that Dick and uh, Dick and uh, Steve drove together for the first time. Ninety eight. Sorry, ninety eight. You were right Indeed. the first time. I was right the first time. But he's producing that model, and uh, and uh, I, I'm uh, quite being quite fastidious with him and demanding that every detail is absolutely right to the point where I've I've actually got the race on video and I've screenshotted <laughs> screenshotted the car in pit stops to show no, it had this shell branding here and it had this, and I've I've driven the poor the poor bastard absolutely crazy <laughs> getting that car right. But uh, that was special, and and the reason why it was special was even though I watched '94 Bathurst and '94 Sandown, '95 Sandown. And uh, and the uh, the the podium at the Easter meeting um, in '95. Dick was truly competitive with that new car at Lakeside in '98, mm. and that that was that was a defining moment moment uh, for for me in my in my fanaticism <laughs> <laughs> of of uh, of Dick Johnson racing and uh, and the great man himself. While we're talking cars, I'd love to talk to you about. Uh, I mean, we've talked through the business side of things. We've talked about your career, your world, where you've been, what you've done, and I'm sure we've only just touched the top layer. But there's so many other layers to you that <laughs> I'm sure we'll never get to a lot of them. But I'm sure that someday, someday down the track, we'll we'll do some some more of this sort of stuff. But tell me about the the you talked earlier about the FPRization of the Falcons at the start of the Car of the Future era. Just talk me through there. How those cars came together and what, oh, what they—they they were virtually FPR front end. What, what parts oh, did you was, acquire that, from them? That whole process. That was—they were really good to us. They were really good to us. They couldn't have been more helpful. Um, and that's the sort of thing that you remember. Uh, and when you build relationships and friendships up and down pit lane, you never forget those who were, who were there when you when you needed them most. They 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 were helpful with us on payment terms. I developed quite a close friendship with Tim Edwards through all of that as well. But yeah, they were they were they were really terrific through it, and and that was instrumental to the survival of the business because we didn't have the the capacity, uh, or the manpower to develop any of those things on on our own. And there what was, sort of parts are we talking here that were everything, FPR parts? Everything, everything except the engine, pretty much. Really? Yeah. Yep. 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 FPR front suspension, front end, um, FPR engine rails. Um, Front and rear, any roll bar system, yeah, the whole lot. It's a pace chassis, a DJ engine, and FBR bits. Yeah. When did the cars start to become a bit more DJR, or did they stay that way for the next year or two? They stayed that way right up until 2016. 
Um, we at the end of 2015, when we made a decision to go to two cars, part of that decision was was basically Engineering Independence Day, um, making it uh, making the investment in personnel and resource to be fully self sufficient and not reliant on any other team. Uh, and that's really when that started. That 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 saw us developing our own front end, our own subframe, our own front and rear anti-roll bar systems, all of those sorts of things, so that we could manufacture almost all of it in-house and, and with some external third parties, such as uh, Moderna Engineering in Victoria and others. And that's really when that began. And that's when that's and that's why I'm quite proud of the success we had, particularly in early 2017. The new additions to the team, the highest profile one being Scott McLaughlin, which we announced at Phillip Island the year prior, but obviously Ludovic Lacroix coming on board. But the car that rolled out at Adelaide, the same car that uh, finished at Homebush, and what Ludo did, which which he is incredibly good at because he's, he's decisive, he's a decisive engineer, was bring all of the threads together and tie them together, bring all the parts together and set a direction and that, that was basically running all of the components that we designed and developed and manufactured the year p- before so that was that was a that was great for everyone here because no one else there were a few people here who'd worked with him before at AAA but no one really knew what to expect and we'd invested a lot of time and effort and energy in uh, in his recruitment and the legal fight that ensued and all those sorts of things I got to know him very well through that process but uh, there are a lot of people, including Scott himself. Scott thought that Ludo hated him. He thought Ludo, he was convinced that Ludo hated him. And we had to have a meeting. We had a meeting at the Hard Rock Cafe in Surfers with Tim Sindrick, myself, uh, Scott, and Ludo. Um, and it was only after that meeting that Scott was convinced that Ludo didn't hate him. <laughs> that, was quite, that was in 2016. That was hilarious. But uh, but he he just he pulled everyone together. He gets the best out of people. He has a a real appetite in developing young engineers and giving them opportunities and sharing his knowledge. And I don't think that's necessarily known or respected about him. And I, I can't uh, I can't thank him enough for what he's done in on particularly in that in that aspect of the team. And he he gives people confidence to do things. He sets he sets an engineer out on a project and he lets them he lets he lets them go and do it. He keeps an eye on them, and and if if they're heading down the wrong path, he will let them head down the wrong path until they figure it out for themselves, and then help them step it back to to go to where they where it is they need to go. But he gives them the opportunity to learn and to to gain new knowledge. And it's a, yeah, I got a lot of respect for him for that. Tell me about the process too. A lot of our V8 Sleuth followers uh, have followed what we do for a very long time because of the tracking of the cars, the telling of the history of the sport through the cars themselves. Well, no one does it better, and uh, I think that uh, I don't think that you're given enough credit for being the custodian of of the sport's history. And in the acquisitions you've made of photo archives over the years, you've not only created yourself a very successful business, but you are you are the doyen of data. <laughs> Can we trademark that? That's good. Please, but, please do. But, that could go uh, on a t-shirt. But this is you, you and I are very good friends outside of uh, outside of the sport and sleuth and 
supercars and all the rest of it, but I really admire your commitment to what it is that you do, your professionalism and just how good you are at what you do. And the same goes for Will Dale, who's got a set of headphones on at the moment, but Will's a great journo and has done a great job writing and, and adding depth to the Sleuth product over the course of the last 12 months. Well, we've dragged Will into his working with us on this book of the DJR car history. So at the moment, while we're doing this podcast, he is monitoring the audio. He's got the headphones on. He's making notes on dif- different time codes of the things that we're talking All about. All the things so that we're, we're going to We're just trying to make him go red in the face, really, <laughs> aren't we? It's worked. Tell me about the process here because I, I started on the uh, the little mission down the pathway of the discussion here that the, the fans love the cars and that's what we've oh, done. Oh, yeah. Um, so the process uh, of converting a Falcon supercar car of the future to a Mustang, which you've done this year, uh, Fabian Coulthard chassis is the, the Falcon you raced last mm. year. For the for the layman, what's been done, the commonality of Car of the Future is one of its um, elements that's always been talked about. But apart from pulling all the panels off from last year, what did you have to do to convert that car to a Mustang? You will effectively have to get the cage back down to the control to its control elements. So you're taking away the the bird cage and the other elements that. Well, the, the bird the bird cage itself stays the same, but you're taking away all of the sheet metal that that's underneath the uh, the external panels. So all of the Falcon OEM sheet metal, and then you're attaching a mixture of bespoke and Mustang OEM sheet metal underneath, and you're effectively putting in the structure to allow the panels to hang on the uh, control chassis. Um, we made changes to the front of the car. The front, the front rail extension was shortened slightly from where what the Falcon was. Um, there were some other changes, at, particularly at the rear of the car, in terms of how the rear boots mounted, um, and also then how we manage the uh, some of the internal uh, internal lights and systems and the, even something like the air spike where you don't have a B pillar in mm. a two in a two door car. So. Where where's that going to go, and how are we going to make? How are we going to hang it? What is a what is effectively a slightly longer than the road car door that's made out of carbon fiber and other composite material? How are we going to hang that and make sure it's secure, make sure it's stiff enough? So there were a lot of engineering challenges in putting the Mustang together, but the uh, the fact that we have the control chassis to effectively rewind back to meant that we had a base from which to build on to uh, to build out the car to where it is, and it means that the conversion isn't an impossible. Uh, impossible uh, situation to find yourself in and a time frame to to do that sort of a thing how long would it take to well to, to, to the way if you that, had all the parts ready to go well the way that we did it is that we we sandblasted the chassis so we disassembled uh, disassembled fabian's car after uh, after newcastle last year uh, completely disassembled it uh, we removed all of the falcon oem sheet metal and all of the bracketry uh, all, all so many, hundreds and hundreds of items off the off of the the raw chassis we then had it sandblasted and repainted uh, once we'd applied the uh, the additional sheet metal and uh, and new new bracketry and then it's a couple of weeks to effectively rebuild a car from having a finished chassis on the floor it's it's very time consuming so the first thing you do is you lay out the loom and the hard lines for for the air jacks and for the brakes uh, and then you you effectively assemble from there. The, we don't have a uh, we don't have a, a guidebook on how to do it, but we've got set processes on how all of these things are done, and and a lot of those processes are referred to when we're lifing parts and in between race events, um, putting new sub assemblies on the car. Um, we go through a lot of those processes uh, week in week out. Since the car of the future era started, there were 
a range of cars in the DJR era, I think three or four cars, and in the Penske era, you're up to six cars now with the seventh chassis that's here in the workshop as we record this podcast that's being worked upon and brought along. Uh, does much change in, in terms of the cars? Obviously, there are control chassis underneath, but are there any little things that would be different from DJR TP01, which was the, the first Marcus Ambrose car, through to six or seven that are now the, the Mustangs in terms of the... The, the, where it starts in the control bar, where it's so underneath. The, 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 from memory, the DJR TP01 was built by Dick Johnson Racing, and that car sits next door at De Bordelis because it crashed at Bathurst in 2015. So it, it exists as a crash chassis next door, which is very unfortunate because so much work and effort was put into that car. That was the best prepared car that we'd ever built. And we had, uh, I think it was Jörg Recklin, who was our machinist here at the time, put together a beautiful build plate that had the American flag and the Australian flag on it and DJR TP001 on there. It was great. And that's a that that's not a tradition uh, that we've continued, which is something I probably need to address, but it was, it was great to have that there. But I think that was on Pace's original jigging, and I think that they updated their jigging to make it more modular in in the successive builds since then. There's not a lot that we've changed except for as it relates to the DJR front and rear anti-roll bar systems compared to the FPR and ProDrive anti-roll bar systems. That's pretty much it, really. Um, and you learn how to be more efficient uh, the more cars you build. It's not a it's not a Henry Ford uh, production line type process. They are a bespoke build. Uh, but uh, but but yeah, we still we still maintain today a, a, a one. One plus one build strategy. We build a new car every year, and uh, we'll continue that into the future. And that's what that's what Seven's all about. That chassis's only arrived here from Pace in uh, in recent days. What is the mantra? I guess it, this is not really a team that goes and sells cars on to Super Two or to to other squads or the like. One day, could you see yourself in a position of? a Super 2 team maybe as a satellite operation or is it a case of once a car's finished here with its purpose, it's a, a Penske museum piece or it's, it's going to hang here or head to the States or wherever it goes. It's one of those things of a train set that stays well, we in the a family. Lot, we learned a lot of lessons through selling cars um, last year that once you sell a car, you can't control it anymore. And that was, uh, that was, a, that was, tough. That was tough for us to watch and to observe it was a difficult situation to be in in many respects and i think that will and we're talking about stone racing who yeah i think that'll that'll dictate how and what we do with cars going forward but certainly uh certainly we've got two falcons in the building that will be kept as museum pieces we've got fabian's car that he won our first championship race in tasmania in 2017 and of course we've got the most successful car in DJR and DJR teams Penske's history in in Scott's championship winning car from last year, which we've recently given a birthday to. We've taken off the the scrap panels from Newcastle and from kept, the burnout from the burnout, and we've we've uh, put fresh 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 panels on and given it a fresh coat of paint, and it's now it's now museum worthy. So uh, I think we'll continue down that path. We'll we'll end up with a bit of a car park here, but we never rule out anything. We 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 may do a wild card at some point if it makes sense. And I've spoken about that many many times previously. Super two, I'm not sure. Our main objective is to is to run two cars in in the main game of, of the Supercars Championship, 
and uh, ideally to be competitive and win races and with any luck win championships and we don't want to do anything that distracts us from that. Our V8 Sleuth fans love to hear some of the insight into how things work in V8 supercar teams and one of the things we've asked drivers is what they're like with memorabilia. Some of them really love keeping their suits and their helmets and their <laughs> trophies but in race teams, what's the what's the general deal? Do drivers get to keep suits? I mean, clearly not trophies because I can see them all down here in the bays here at the, the workshop but give me the insight into all of that. What's in a regular team is a driver's, what's a team's, how does that all work? We do things a little bit differently here in that we get replica trophies made. We get two made for every race win. One goes to the Penske Museum and the other one is given is given to the driver and and that's that's how we've operated for the last few years. In terms of memorabilia, we've got, as I mentioned before, a huge array of the historical DJR team posters and posters from every year dating back to the early 80s and some merch dating back to the early 80s. We've got all, all of the trophies that, uh, that Dick accrued across his career here. We've got all of Steve Johnson's cart trophies here as well. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of memorabilia here uh, from race suits and helmets right through. Drivers also have to give us a helmet at the end of each season, so uh, we've got got a number of driver helmets here too. My personal collection, on the other hand, <laughs> um, my personal collection is quite significant. Um, just behind Will, there are two Mark Webber raced race suits that he was kind enough to sign for me. I've got Schumacher suits. I've got. Prost helmet. I've got Senna helmets, plural. I've got three Senna helmets. Um, I've got Schumacher helmet, boots, gloves. I've got a number of paintings by the magnificent Greg McNeil, who of which there's plenty here in your office, which is just stunning. Some of the stuff he's done over recent years is is amazing. A lot of it's a lot of it I've commissioned, and a lot of it I've begged begged him to let me buy of him. Um, and some of them have actually been gifts from him as well. He's a wonderful, wonderful human being and, and a great family. Uh, they've, they've been very good to me over the years. And uh, originally my connection to him came from the uh, Bradford Exchange or Bradford Collection years ago. He used to sell these plates mm, I remember. with, uh, with, with uh, four of Dick's cars on them. They did the same with, uh, with Brock. And I just reached out to him through his website saying, do you have any of the original artwork for any of those plates? He said, look, I don't own the merchandise rights for the artwork, but I own two of the four pieces. And I was actually sitting next to Dick at a restaurant at Crown in Melbourne at the Grand Prix in 2012 when I emailed back to Greg to say, I'll buy them, please. And then he subsequently found a third one, so I think I've ended up with three of them. And I commissioned him to do a number of paintings, which we used through a lot of merchandise and, and other things. And I'm a huge uh, admirer of Tazio Nuvolari, so I commissioned a, a painting of, of Tazio and some of his great cars. I've actually got the Tazio Nuvolari turtle on my desk, and it's also included in the painting. I've got uh, a painting that Greg did of Sir Jack Brabham and his three championship winning cars, which is great given that when the team now here is supported by Repco, that the old nail is sitting in their headquarters in Melbourne. So getting to see that car and seeing the painting of it here in my office is pretty special. I've got a painting here from Fabian's win for us at Tasmania in 2017. I've got a painting here from Newcastle last year, the Xbox car from 2015. Um, there's even a, a, a painting 
of a pit stop at Bathurst that has uh, Roger, Dick, and myself portrayed in it, which is pretty cool too. But uh, yeah, my my uh, my memorabilia collection is quite extensive. There's all sorts of Formula One race suits and and supercar suits that I've bought at auctions over the years and charity auctions for for the most part. And uh, and uh, when you find out how much some of that stuff's worth ten years or so after you've bought it, it's it it can be quite an eye opener. That doesn't normally happen in racing. Not not everything appreciates in value in motor <laughs> it racing. It goes the other way. It certainly does. So um, we, we love hearing insights into the collections of people. Of for some it's it's race cars, for some it's trophies, for some it's helmets, for some it's suits, for some it's artwork and posters and prints. And um, we really love that element of the things that we do and the things that we get to talk to people in uh, Australian motor racing about. So uh, I really appreciate the insight. It has been. A fantastic chat. I'm sure we've got plenty more to chat about uh, another time down the track. But in the meantime, Ryan Story, thank you for joining us on the V8 Sleuth podcast and we'll catch up soon. It's been my pleasure. And uh, look, if any of this actually makes it uh, makes it onto uh, your podcast feed, I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Thank There'll you, be sir. enough of it there. Don't you worry. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Will. So there you go. Thank you very much to Ryan Story for not just the chat, but the Fredo Frogs he fed us immediately beforehand and for the spot-on 12th man impression that he did in our sound check too. Now, along with the podcast, we also chatted with him as part of our research for our upcoming book, 40 Years of Cars from Dick Johnson Racing and DJR Team Penske. It's now getting really close to being released. It's a limited edition book. Once it's gone, it's gone. So make sure you secure your copy. Head to authenticcollectibles.com.au and you can pre-order it there to make sure you don't miss out. If you're enjoying our V8 Sleuth podcast, make sure you leave a review to help spread the word. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss episodes as they come out. There's a lot more of them in 2020. We're releasing an episode pretty much every week during the 2020 supercar season. If you haven't been to our website recently, go to it. We've given it a birthday. It's got a new livery. It looks the part. V8sleuth.com.au. And as always, keep an eye on our socials on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date with everything that's going on. Until then, we'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Timken. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil, and find out.